the wiggles out, all right? Yeah. Come all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell Of how that good old union has come in here to dwell Which side are you on? Which side Welcome are to Smoke Breakfast for this podcast. This is the second week of June. This is Sean in Salt Lake City. This is Chris in Brooklyn. I said this too many times. Let me try that again. That's a, I think it's an, a, a fine number of this is. You're satisfied with the number of this is? I, I am. I'm satisfied. Right. Yeah. Uh, you you got to remember, man, you're talking to a teacher in June. I'm uh, I'm satisfied with uh, pretty much anything. With, uh, yeah. with the least amount of effort, uh, I, I can be satisfied at this moment. In, nice. in, uh, just in general, right? The Smoke Break for Systemist podcast, broadcasting live from the front lines of America's cult civil war. If you're interested in supporting amateur podcasting, either this one or any amateur podcasting, please go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, and leave a rating and review. That's it. That's all the enthusiasm that's I have. That's yeah. that's I'm spent for the week. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the world. Uh, I want to tell you about the most important thing going on in my world right now. Like, yeah. uh, it really supersedes any other any other consideration. Uh uh blood and truth dropped for the for the ps4 uh vr yeah uh now if you're i don't know if you're familiar with this but uh, uh when the the psvr first came out uh it came with a, a demo disc and on this demo disc was a game called uh london heist right now uh-huh. this was like this really uh it just sort of hinted at the possibilities of virtual reality there's this uh really incredible scene where you're cruising along uh london uh in a suv uh with an an uzi uh in one hand and a pistol in the other and you're leaning out of this car uh blasting uh uh uh, pursuing suvs and motorcycles right it was like holy shit what a fun experience this is right and they had been teasing that the same studio would be making a same sort of you know, like a London crime, uh, Guy Ritchie kind of stylized uh, action game in uh-huh. VR, and it finally came out. Uh, and I spent, I got up at like 5.30 yesterday, because I can't play this stuff when my wife's around, because I look quite the fool. Everyone looks quite the fool when they're playing it. So I got up at 5.30 in the morning, and I uh, I sank my teeth into it. Uh, and I it was, ama- it was so much, so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a blend of, like I say, like Guy Ritchie, uh, 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 John Wick. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of fun. You should, you should definitely, uh, if you were thinking about it, this is the most important thing happening in my world right now. It's a, a very fun experience. It sounds better than anything that's going on in my world yeah. right now. There's a, a fucking, listen to this, there's a dedicated button on your controller, a uh-huh. button that is solely dedicated to spinning the gun on your fingers. <laughs> 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 it's like, it's like, oh shit! Very fun. That's it. That's all anyone needs yeah. to know about the world. Yeah, I mean, podcast is done, right? We gonna yeah. back it up. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful day outside. I was gonna walk through the park. Back it up. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 let's see. I'm sure there's something else going on in the world. <laughs> I'm sure there's something else we can talk about. Oh. I don't know. It, it seems like uh, the president is doing very well with trade talks with Mexico. So that's. Oh great. yeah, yeah. Sam, that was great. That was great stuff. <clears throat> I like how uh, President Trump always manages to do better in trade talks when the Republican Party under no certain 
uh, conditions tells him they're not supporting his stupid bullshit. It, it's very interesting. And they uh, because, very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting in so much that, like, you know, his whole strategy has always been to never really apologize uh, and just to spin losses as victories, right? That's been, yeah. that's been how I think he's succeeded his entire life, right? Is he's, he's failed upward his entire life and just bullshitted his way through it. And this is the same thing, right? They'd already renegotiated a bunch of this stuff fucking months ago. Uh, and what happened is, uh, you know, GOP senator stepped out and said, this is stupid. Uh, you know, we're not going to sacrifice uh, a, a huge chunk of the economy uh, to goose your chances in 2020 among your, you know, lecherous base. Uh, and suddenly everything's resolved, right? It's, it's very silly. And it, uh, from an international relations perspective, uh, it's, it's the kind of uh, move that is designed largely for domestic consumption that uh, really plays poorly on an international stage. It gives the impression of a, a country uh, that is irrational and untrustworthy and unstable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I that's... Have, uh, I mean, that's, the, uh, the amount of effort you <clears throat> just put into trying to make <laughs> this event seem bad, right, is... Oh, my God. Amazing. Mm. <laughs> seem bad. <laughs> it's really bad. It's really bad. Uh, I... But here's the thing. It's the same kind of bad that we've been dealing with for two years. It's the same kind of, uh, I mean, pulling out of the uh, Iran agreement, which, you know, we both agreed many times is a terrible idea. Uh, we, nothing we, we both agreed not, on we many times. That. That was <laughs> quiet, quiet. Uh, we also uh, agreed uh, wholeheartedly. I think we, uh, I think we had like a, a song queued up for the moment we agreed on the, the Paris uh, Climate Accords. We right? definitely okay. not agree. <laughs> that that was a horrible idea. Uh, and again, it sort of undermines American credibility on the international stage, which is, <clears throat> I mean, and let's, and let's, let's be really fucking frank here, right? Uh, at a moment when American power uh, arguably is on the wane and you have the rise of other powers uh that could play a very serious and existential threat to the to, to the United States. Uh, this is not a time for us to be. Uh, well, you know what it reminds me of. You know, it's uh, uh, Cortez arrived in South America with three hundred Spaniards, right? Uh, and he was that. That's what he used to conquer the Aztec Empire. He, you, he, they could have fielded eighty thousand troops at any given point. It wasn't three hundred Spaniards. It was the 80,000 strong native army that just wanted to see uh, the Aztec empire crumble, right? That led to the complete decimation of a culture, right? That's, that's what happens uh, when, you, when you act like an asshole, right? That's sort of the, uh, I mean, listen, that's the, uh, taken to its logical absurdity, but there's a reason why uh, in international relations we observe, uh, we observe niceties that this completely goes against, you know? I disagree. Oh, I'm sh surprised. Shocked and appalled. There we yeah. go. You're caught yeah. up. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'm glad we so we can move on from this with. Uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, Chris. I think I know you don't. Uh, Donald Trump is is sort of in stages acting out every recommendation the AFL-CIO has um, given on international trade over the last. 30 years 
and it's very disheartening to me as uh, a fellow. Mm-hmm. This is nice. I like this. I like this. Organized uh... labor that you have turned your back so completely uh, <clears throat> on the American uh, labor movement in favor. I haven't. Of I think there's the, a segment of the labor the, movement the that is looking back. Of super uh, capitalism. I think there's a, a, a large segment of the labor movement that is looking back as a golden era, an, an era that literally cannot be revived, right? Uh, the era in which American was dominant in production uh, and that that could really, uh, that, that could really uh, sustain the kind of lifestyle that like, working people experienced in the 50s and 60s. It's unsustainable, right? Uh, trying to go back to it, you're not going to recreate it. You're just going to fuck things up trying to. Right. Uh, and we've had this discussion before. The future of unionization uh, is not trying to backpedal to some mythical past, uh, which is, you know, uh, it, we, we, we both know uh, the history of unions in this country. There's plenty that they did wrong. There's plenty that they did to themselves you know, uh, in industrial unions. Right. Uh, racist as shit. Right. Uh, uncooperative. Right. Uh, there's a reason why in, in other countries that labor unions have a seat at the table and American unions don't. Right. Uh, I think part of that is they're really I mean, they, they really cast all their lot with industrial unionization in a post-industrial economy. You're not going to make that come back. Right. Uh, the future of unionization is in uh, service and retail and professional unions, just where it is. Right. That's that's where Americans work. And if unions aren't willing to go where Americans work, then they're not going to survive. They're going to be a vestige. God help me. I'm doing a podcast with a neoliberal. Oh, my God. Why would it's just listen? That's just a cold fucking reality. Like if you come to me and say the UAW, uh, you know, needs to tank half the fucking economy so we can save 3000 jobs in Detroit. I'm not buying it. I'm just not. Right. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to sacrifice the livelihood of other workers because these workers who are working in a dying industry and they've refused to adapt. What do you want me to what do you want me to say? The union's resources shouldn't be spent that way. Uh, It shouldn't be spent. I mean, why don't we just, uh, you know, the union has a lot of money. Why don't we just invest heavily in a time machine and we can just send everyone back to when these jobs paid 30 fucking dollars an hour? I was thinking this episode, you could just like have really terrible hot takes, and I can make guttural noises while you yeah. do it. Well, but I mean, all I'm telling you, is, all I'm telling you is reality. I'm not listen. If this were 1965, we'd be having a different conversation. I think this right? is, uh, but this is, but this, but this is view. where we are. This is certainly the point of view of someone whose uh, profession is legally protected from any sort of competition. Yeah, that's where unions. <laughs> that's where unions work. That's how unions work. Well, right, but um, since you seemingly won't permit anyone, particularly no, in the I, private sector, to have the same protection, right? why would I? Why would I not permit that? I, I well, mean, I mean, you're not. You're not what what, what did I just sit here uh, at saying? I'm saying the future of unions are uh, service, retail, and professional unions. That's where oh, they are. That's very stupid. There is that's, no, it, no that's that. that's the only place. I mean, that's the, the retail industry. Exist. The retail industry is um, dying. Of course, the sector of the economy that was traditional retail is gone. It's being fully automated. The uh, uh, drivers are about to be automated out of existence, right? So that leaves like service workers, but uh, low-end service workers have no leverage. They have no, uh, they have, they have no way of uh, preventing like themselves this. from being. I really like the. Uh, so it's just there's, you know, there's no reason. To do I it. mean, this is a, this is dystopian thinking that you're moving into, right? That uh, and it's a, you know, it's very Yang. I mean, 
Have you thought about have you thought about joining the Yang Gang? No, like this I, focus well, on like how automation is going to lead to like this economic uh, Armageddon in, in which uh, we're going to in, in order for us to survive, we're going to have to uh, make sure that every American gets a thousand dollars. You got to get that get that secure the bag. That's the uh, um, oh, I mean, isn't that an inspiring? You know, like you had the, you had Kennedy. Kennedy came out and said, "Ask not uh, what your country can do for you." what you can do for your country and that's uh uh secure the bag well i mean the the primary difference between the two of us is that <laughs> is I'm that is there not a better argument for a country gets the the leadership it deserves the the primary difference between the two of us uh, with the exception of me being polite enough not to interrupt someone mid-sentence <laughs> is that uh i would i would like to see uh systemic uh macroeconomic policy changes that ensure that we don't end up uh, a country on the dole. Whereas you seem to be perfectly satisfied with eradicating the working class so that we live in a permanent yeah. uh, system in which a <laughs> very small percentage of the population controls the fruit that of capital sounds, uh, and the, uh, the a kind of, uh, you know, 99% poverty class uh, nice. lives off love a it. small check from the government each month. I love it. So it. that's that's the primary difference between the two of us. <laughs> that was wonderful. That was masterful. Yeah, I like that. The other thing I would like to do is not to uh, basically export all of America's uh, wealth-producing capital to a hostile communist superpower uh, that believes itself to be the center of the known universe. We're that talking about really we're talking about Mexico, man. Well, I mean, we're talking Mexico is just one front in sort of the grander uh, trade narrative. Oh, man. Uh, the, the primary front being. I appreciate that you've sort of gone, uh, you've kind of gone full circle here. I appreciate it. Well, I think it. it's. Uh, the, one yeah, this is like the economic would... sort of populism of uh, like your youth. I mean, I appreciate it, you know? Gotta fucking fight China, man. The jobs. What are we gonna do? I'm just. Uh, uh, I mean, that's cute, right? But I'm yeah, not like. Yes. I'm not like hating on them. Just because they're another rival superpower. They're, uh, this being, uh, we recently celebrated the anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Yeah. And we Do you are see already, some uh, interesting right. new photos came out? Did you see these? Uh, I did not. Yeah. No. Uh, really, uh, there's like 90 new rolls of photo- uh, photographs that had never gotten uh, out of China. What did Really what did uh, shocking stuff. Really left me, uh, the impression that had really been uh, kind of pushed upon me was the um, the myriad of left-wing voices trying to explain to us that Tiananmen Square didn't really happen, that it was U.S. propaganda. Um, and there's two things that come to mind when this, when this happens. The first one is it almost seems as though the left-wing platform from uh, their economic platform to the uh, sort of dismantling of American culture has to do with, again, trying to, uh, just as it was during the conflict of the Soviets during the Cold War, it's trying to get the United States to unilaterally surrender to a hostile foreign communist power. And this is just one more, the, the sort of Do you really think that that's sort of like sort left, of one more front. Do you really think there's that sort of like broad left-wing support for, for China? I mean, even uh, even Boots Riley. I mean, <laughs> I think I'm going to sit here. I'm going to declare right now that I I think Boots Riley speaks for the international communist movement in general. Uh, and his tweet was that uh, China is capitalist, but Tiananmen didn't happen. 
right? So there's like there's a there's like a, a mixed message from like the Stalinist left on this. Well, ultimately, I mean, they're just uh, this is uh, fundamentally the the entity that is communist China is their hero in the in the grand arc of of history, right? They were sort of rooting for the Soviet Union. It it failed them, so they moved on to the next uh, totalitarian dictatorship. Uh, they had sort of the next man up that they could root for. Just sort of a, like in Game of Thrones, you know, where uh, everyone you was know, I rooting. Didn't, I didn't watch any of that. Oh. And not, not a single episode. I watched uh, like a two minutes over uh, of it over my wife's shoulder on an airplane. And I'm like, that show looks well, like a you won't, bummer. Well, you won't get this analogy. But the, yeah. the family that everyone roots for, the Starks, as each yeah. sort of uh, head of the household gets killed, you move your loyalties on to the next Stark. And that's mm. that's basically what happened. Uh, China uh, is uh, the Jon Snow of communist super states. And they, uh, everyone's rooting for China now. Are they, they really? Uh, Are they really? But at the same time, like all good Stalinists, they're they're they have animosity. Why do you know China's more about this than I do? Because I haven't, I hadn't seen any of this. I don't, I don't see this current. I mean, I I figure I'm I'm reasonably plugged into left wing nonsense. You know, I'm I'm adjacent. I think you I think you've been conditioned to have an ideological blind spot. Uh, to to ch- China apologism. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I mean, you, you the, when it. I when I worked for the Communist Party, they were specifically a Marxist-Leninist party. They did not, they weren't a fan of uh, of Mao. I don't see anyone. I don't, honestly, I don't see how anyone could be. I always thought it was the uh, you know the RCP, the weirdos. But like they they were weirdos, right? Like you see that instantly. Like why would you, why would you sympathize with a, a, a horrible figure? I mean, the man would like uh, uh, fuck uh, like thirteen-year-old peasant girls that he chose from villages. I mean, what what about him is like like romantic? Like it's not. I don't get it. Like it, I, he sort of lacks like the at least like you know like when you look at like the you know what do you call it? like uh, 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 radical chic. You got Che Guevara and uh, Castro, sort of the bearded uh, hippies taking power. But like, what's attractive about Mao? Well, like I said, I think he's just sort of the next, the next dictator up. You think he's just the next Stark? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Is that be, simple? If... You think it's the come on, this guy is. Uh, it's got to be something more than that. I I never even when I was into radical shit, I never understood Maoism. Uh, I mean, it just seemed like you know, kill half your country for the revolution, right? It seemed like the general ideology. But that's a general ideology of most of uh, the communist <laughs> leaders that we used to well, idealize. You know, right. Not not Saint Trotsky. Things would have been different if it if it was for Trotsky. Right. I mean, Trotsky yeah. would have. Yeah. Trotsky would have. Never yeah. mind that he had already. Uh, he had already we led would be... the Red Army into many. Uh, <laughs> it uh, would. We. This would have been a a workers' paradise. The whole world. Had it had Trotsky lived, uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, we'd we'd all be much we'd all mm. be much better off. Clearly, yeah. I'm gonna burn uh, a candle for him tonight. Could you? Yeah, yeah. Burn F's a little. In the chat. Yeah. F's in the chat. There's no. Uh, there's. Uh, I mean, you you read a newspaper that uh, hosts Thomas Friedman, who regularly writes these uh, sycophantic articles about how great China is and how he wishes the United States could be the PRC he, for a he day. He does get a hard on for China, doesn't he? Yeah, he really yeah. does. Yeah. So uh, they just sort of they like the idea of um, 
they like the idea that you can tinker with an entire nation and civilization uh, without any pushback, right? They don't they don't appreciate the sort of laborious activity of reform no. in a in a democracy. They want they want immediate results because they have the answer. That's that's the key. That's what makes you a progressive is you know exactly what people should do to make the world a better place. And uh, if people would just listen to you, everything would be great. And having the power to force them to listen to you in mass and immediately is very seductive. And that's that's why there's always going to be a certain amount of deterrent. No, I think most of the Tiananmen Square thing, I mean, aside from that, aside from progressives having an authoritarian um, streak a mile long, is that they uh, it, it's just the China's America's uh, adversary. Uh, America is the antagonist. China must be the good guy. It's sort of basic. Mm. basic I mean, I do. I mean that. Yeah, there you do get down to that to that logic, right? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I don't. Well, I mean, know. it's. I, I mean, it's the same. It's the same basic script, right? Uh, that like once you've established, uh, you know, because what I was thinking is, uh, you know, I, I was about I was preparing a barb uh, aimed right mm. your way. Right. Oh, good. Uh, which was, you know, you're going to fucking sit here and talk about, uh, you know, historic revisionism while you have uh, D'Souza making movies calling uh, the Democrats the like we're all uh, Ku Klux Klan members on the sly. Oh, should or we whatever. Actually, you know what? Should we actually make that the point of the episode? Because we've just sort of been rambling for the first. Yeah. Uh, well, but I was and I was about to say, you know, I was uh, I was cruising through Netflix looking for something to watch while I was, uh, you know, on the stationary bike or whatever. And I come across. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, what's this? Fuck, I had it. Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone made a, a Netflix series. Uh, it's essentially like a, a people's history, right? Yeah. Uh, as a, you should you should see their Cold War epi- their, their their Cold War episode. Uh, basically, uh, America looks like a snarling, angry monster, uh, and the Soviet Union uh, looks like a, a, a you know sort of a, a beat up puppy mm. dog in the corner. Uh, like hiding under a newspaper <laughs> from from the pouring rain, and it, you know America's just like lurching toward it, trying to eat it. <laughs> uh, the revisionism is unfortunate on both sides. It's really uh, it, we're at a bad moment, I think, for history in general in the popular understanding of it. Zin Zin fucked things up, I think, really badly. Well, we sort of lost a common um, mm. a common national narrative, right? That we always had. Uh, that I think if the Soviet uh, kind of infiltrators and the Soviet uh, money that came in during the late 1960s to cause destabilization in the United States did anything successfully, I mean, it didn't win the Cold War, but it left a kind of lasting legacy of uh, nihilistic left-wing animosity against the United States that's never really been anything like cured. Right, because the pro-American left, uh, you call it like the New Deal left. Uh, the, I mean, the idea that Truman was anti-American just wouldn't make sense to people. Uh, but, the, you know, Truman was very much a product of the American left. Uh, a couple generations later, the idea of anyone, any serious thinker on the left being a Truman Democrat was just, it's just not possible. Right. I mean, I don't think uh, uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt was a was a I I think it's fair to say a bit of a nationalist. Right. He came from a kind of national nationalist wing of the Democratic Party connected to Woodrow Wilson. Uh, He was a vast improvement on Woodrow Wilson. (laughs) Nobody would say otherwise. But fundamentally, he was a, a really staunch patriot. 
and um, the idea that people today, like Bernie Sanders, who's pretending to be the new Roosevelt, well, and the that's idea so, that he would support yeah. the United States is crazy. Well, that's what's interesting is uh, you're getting to a point where I think for a certain segment of Democratic voters, uh, they're expecting their candidate to be explicitly anti-American. And uh, mm-hmm. that's that's something new, I think. Uh, right. No, I think, yeah. so. <clears throat> I think I think I think it's it's new that it's being taken seriously. Uh, well, know? we've gone yeah. from a point that even within the last generation of sort of uh, the the new left, the shift over. I mean, there was a, a period of time in which uh, the sort of left wing narrative was okay. We can be critical of the United States, but it's because we love it so much. You know what I mean? We want it to be better. Yes, I'm and very comfortable with that to, with that being, rationale. Like I, you being, know, like I haven't moved yeah. on from that at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it, the sort of new generation of, of radical Democrats are, we're being critical of the United States because it's clearly the, uh, you know, the avatar of all evil. And that's, that's just, uh, that's a fundamental change. And in their case, they think they're being revolutionaries, but they're, they're not because they don't, they don't have the stones for a revolution. What they're really just being is nihilistic. Yeah. And they're going to continue to undermine the success of the United States as a nation state. Uh, and, uh, I mean, if this is the future of one of the two major parties in the United States, the United States is in fucking a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, I don't think we disagree about that. I think that's sort of the point of this podcast, Ryan, is the United States is in a lot of trouble. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I actually think the, the point of the podcast is just to have the two of us uh, get yeah. out all of our animosities so the rest of the time we can be, we can be chummy. Yeah. So you wanted you wanted to discuss. So you said that you wanted to talk about D'Souza. Do you want to talk about? Well, not D'Souza. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to like go over Dinesh D'Souza's life, right? Yeah. Because it'll make me want to vomit. But (laughs) he's a he's a bad he's a bad person. He's just uh, he's a bit of he's a bit of a a psychopath. But the 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 point that I do want to talk about, however is the way in which we, we should talk about his kind of underlying thesis about the... Because uh, the only thing dumber than Dinesh D'Souza's Democrats of the Party of Jim Crow and Slavery thing yeah. that he talks about incessantly is yeah. the some of the counterpunches, yeah. right? I, I uh, think... Can I just say first that I, you know, as much as I detest D'Souza and his thesis, I, I you almost uh, want to point a finger at Howard Zinn uh, and say that, like, you know, you... Uh, by the way that you've decided to interpret history, uh, you know, taking uh, bits and pieces of reality and placing them within a uh, framework uh, that's designed to just accomplish uh, a very, like, uh, partisan task. Uh, like, you made this possible. You made people take this shit seriously. I see that shit in classrooms. I see both of that shit in classrooms. Uh, and it blows my mind. Right. Yeah. But let's get, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into the thesis. Uh, the the counter thesis I saw on yeah. Twitter was uh, someone a, 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 I believe a fairly respected. I mean, he was a blue checkmark Twitter person. He was a professional uh, uh, journalist and book yeah. writer. He 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 created a timeline series of uh, cherry picked events in which the Republican Party for Republican presidents that had done something or said something racist or that was interpreted racist, and put them all the way back to Lincoln. And um, why would you do that? Why and then would, he, what is but it? there were, I mean, there were about a dozen of them, right? 
uh, and then he, and then it was, you know, it was like, see, the Republican Party has always been the party of racism, uh, and the Democrat. But it, you know, I could, I could do the same list and have it packed like eight thousand events. Oh, deep it would on be far, Party. yeah, it would be far uh, more packed. Uh, so it's just it's very stupid. The point is, is that uh, the United States, at its founding, right, was a. I mean, the United States, uh, a significant amount of the territory of the United States was devoted to slavery at its before its founding, right? That was its point. Um, the United States was uh, uh, the colonies were uh, state-sponsored corporations from the United Kingdom that primarily were to make devoted money. to agriculture yeah. and that agriculture was uh, produced through the use of slave labor. Uh, yeah. Most of it ended up coming from uh, the uh, northwestern coast of Africa. Um, the kind of political empires that controlled northern Africa were uh, slave states themselves. Uh, and they, they, you know, this this was the economic model of the Atlantic Ocean or the Atlantic uh, uh, Sea yes. yeah. for hundreds of years. Um, the triangular the States, the tri- we we have to bang into their heads uh, the triangular trade right. in high school in high school uh, <laughs> like that's one of well, those things the, that they I have mean, to it's... understand is that this this was a this was a system right uh, that was supported. Uh, uh, but in a, a global model here, right? The when the United States became uh, an independent country, it was not just a country that sort of won itself rule. It was a very ideological country. It, was, it really was sort of a product of a particular kind of philosophy, and that philosophy was not in keeping with slavery, but um, it the reality of slavery didn't suddenly vanish. Right when the United States uh, declared its independence, it took uh, eighty plus years ultimately to get to the point in which there was enough political will and political capital for a uh, president of the United States to uh, sign something like the Emancipation Proclamation and for the political body of the United States to pass the Thirteenth and eventually Fourteenth Amendment. as a result of this, though, we had a racial caste system that survived the terminate the legal termination of slavery in the United States, and that racial caste system is something that, uh, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, you can acknowledge is still the 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 remnants of it is still with us today, and it's still something we're going to be talking about and going to be trying to deal with for decades to come. The idea that there was one of the two major parties or one of the two major uh, political Mm -hmm. factions that were ever not guilty of participating in uh, the the sort of the remnants of of racism in the United States is just fucking stupid. Even further than that, right? Uh, Like there's often this confusion between uh, racism and slavery, as if the uh, you know the political will uh, that was uh, given force during the Civil War was a product of uh, anti-racist feeling, uh, is 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 equally silly. They wouldn't have seen the distinction, right? Uh, and pretty much everybody in 19th century United States was racist, right? 
that's that's just a reality. You know, you go looking. Uh, you want to go trolling through Lincoln's letters, uh, uh, or you want to go looking through. Uh, oh, who's my who's my guy? Uh, who is the really good? I always forget his name. He was played by Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, I do not. Oh God, he was such a good guy. But you, you know, you go trolling for like uh, sort of like racist imagery in their work, and of course it's fucking there because guess what? It's fucking 1863. Uh, everybody is racist. That is the understanding well, of the world. And I think uh, the other problem that I think we have in the conversation is that there's there's kind of two distinct phenomenons. One is sort of run of the mill human bigotry right which is uh, uh kind of xenophobia for the human animal is probably a bit of an evolutionary adaptation right to protect yourself from strangers it's found virtually everywhere on the planet with every group of people if you want to like indict a group of people as being particularly evil and you want to use that as an example you're going to be able to find examples of yeah. it okay yeah. we're not really talking about that in this context right we're talking about uh, the kind of uh, sociological, the informal institution of anti-black slavery in the United States that stems from the racial caste system that was developed during uh, this long period of slavery that predated the Republic, right? The United, the kind of argument the United States was created to be a slave state is, is stupid. Uh, it predates the Republic, right? But the Republic was founded by a society that was a slave society that had a racial caste system based on racial-based slavery. Uh, that reality is, is inescapable. And we've been working, trying to exercise that situation since the founding of the country or even before then, but it's, it's, it's still with us, right? So there's two very different things when we say racism. American racism, as it should be known, is and when, when we talk about the situation with uh, uh, race relations in the United States, it's important to sort of get back to that focus and say that, okay, we're talking very specifically about the kind of universally recognized national sin of uh, a racial caste system and, and as a product of racial slavery. D'Souza is talking about the latter and he's trying to make it sound, for a variety of reasons, as if the modern progressive Democratic Party is the direct descendant of Jim Crow uh, Southern Democrats, and that everything they do uh, should be viewed through that lens. He's created a kind of uh, Democrats are racist hermeneutic by which you're supposed to read modern history. Uh, that's dumb. Right. It's just it's just dumb. The progressive movement is something fundamentally different. I don't I obviously have a lot of horrible things to say about the progressives, but they're not uh, Confederates. Right. Woodrow Wilson was both. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson oh. was both a. Can you imagine Stonewall, a, Stonewall Jackson uh, at the Democratic primary? <laughs> I know. Oh, no, he would can be, you imagine be like uh, Bedford Forrest, like waving a rainbow flag up on the stage. It's very difficult to believe. But like, uh, uh, you know, you can have Woodrow Wilson, who was both, right? He was a, a neo-Confederate kind of lost cause, Southern Democrat, and a raving progressive authoritarian. But generally speaking, it's, it's just not fair. The, the other part of this that bothers me, again, one of the counter arguments for D'Souza, which I think I feel is... Like, I feel like one of Glenn, Glenn Beck's like, cork boards say differently, though, you know? Oh, well, Glenn like, Beck, there's a direct Glenn Beck line. is... <laughs> Glenn Beck is a proto D'Souza. 
Yeah. And I can actually explain. Well, he really he did a lot of he did a lot of uh, really bad history. Yeah. Well, it, uh, I'm fairly familiar with the timeline and how this actually happened. Yeah. Uh, oh. How this narrative came into the popular culture and all. Lay it down, it yeah. But uh, before I do that, I do want to say that uh, to balance things out, because I want to do this, because I don't want people to think that like liberal Democrats are good people, because that we would are, we're be great a, people. a horrible disservice. No, we're wonderful. Um, but uh, one of the things that sort of I think the standard Democrat narrative on this is that uh, at some point the everyone switched sides. Like in 1964, yeah. all the Democrats hopped into the Republican Party. All the Republicans hopped into the Democrat Party, and we were good. That that's a historical. There there was a that's sort not, that's that not how it worked. Yeah, in this the 1960s, there were rearrangement of alliances is more yeah, is a more accurate way of understanding it. Right wings and left wings of both of the major parties. Yeah. after the Civil War. And that continued all the way up yeah. into the 1960s. Yeah, people forget that the new, the, a lot of the sort. New Deal Democrats were real pieces of shit. Yeah. Right? There's a reason black people didn't benefit nearly as much from the New Deal uh, as white folks, and that's because Southern Democrats wouldn't have, weren't having it. Right? right. Like, oh, and you're going to give uh, us the same, uh, same support? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of trash in, like, the most progressive, like, president in right. the 20th century. And the, the sort of deal that lasted all the way through the Kennedy administration really didn't end until Johnson put his foot down was um, the Southern Democrats would support Northeastern liberals. And in exchange, Northeastern liberals wouldn't fuck with Jim Crow. Yeah, that's uh, a bad. And, it's, and that's, a, that's, that's a immoral. It's an immoral arrangement. Yeah. Right. Uh, the Republican Party did something... Um, I think kind of less. Uh, I mean, everyone knows the Southern ex- uh, strategy was a thing, right? Uh, Lee Atwater Lee talked Atwater. about it. <laughs> Lee Atwater now, talked about it. How much it on... the Southern strategy yeah. mattered uh, to the history of the Republican Party? I mean, the Republican Party was already well on its way of being the party of American conservatism at that point. Uh, and it's hard to imagine that Southern whites would have stayed with the Democrats, right? But. This was a thing that they tried. It was cynical and it was gross. Uh, in comparison to what the New Deal did, I think it's pretty Bush League, right? I mean, New Deal Democrats did something much more institutional and much more gross. Uh, what? But the point is, is this what? is a what? part what? of what? American politics. <laughs> no, I'm not. What? What? No. What are you talking about? Well, the difference uh, between are, are you of... comparing uh, the fucking like like the New Deal during the Great Depression? uh to no, the southern I, I, strategy okay. in terms about, of let's uh, not say let's not uh, say cynicism the New Deal. The... let's say uh what john kennedy did holy shit john what, kennedy what, cut taxes <laughs> what no, did john kennedy, uh, john kennedy do? continued the sort of <laughs> compact where he would allow southern democrats to do southern Democrat oh. things as long as well they you know he did uh he did he fuck i mean he he pushed the civil rights act you know uh, I he mean, did. He talked about the Civil Rights Act. Well, he he, then he got shot. With it. And then fucking Johnson signed it. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Listen, I, I, don't, think, I don't love Kennedy. Uh, I, I don't love Kennedy Johnson's. for a lot of reasons. Uh, Bay right. of Pigs is one of those just like, what a spineless piece right. of shit. Uh, and he cut a bunch of taxes. I don't know if you can really. I mean, I think I'm that to he, be, uh, uh, he gave a really important. Like, that speech is important, right, in American history. Like, that not, was a uh, that was a, an not. ice pick through uh some very hard ice i know that you want to drag this argument into your uh anti-papist rhetoric here in a minute but i'm not going to allow that to happen what i'm going to do instead i I like kennedy i I was like you know i i just i think you're being unfair to the guy i think uh what uh, i know where this is headed right i know your uh hibernophobia is going to come out here oh my god what we're gonna do (laughs) 
we're going to veer away from uh, John right. Kennedy, and right. we're going to stay on topic. Um, the the point about- here is the point here is is that uh, U.S. history is not that simple. Uh, the um, complexities of the sorting of the political parties um, is it, it is a complex topic. It's something that is continuing to happen today. Right. And it will always happen. So it's uh, it's it's very dumb to try yeah, to say, yeah. you know, you can go back to uh, a period in time in American history in which both political parties were competing yeah. to be the party of uh, uh, racist psychopathy. Right. Well, I so thi- there's well, I think here's the problem. Right. Is that Americans don't understand how they what their political parties are. Right. Uh, And that's because we have this idea imported from, you know, inferior democratic systems that really boldly state what their political party believes. Right. Like we're the we're the Labor Party or we're the fucking like we have two parties that have generic ass names. Right. You can't disagree with a democracy or the concept of a republic. These uh, these are machines that were sort of quasi-official created by the necessities of the Constitution. And that's because a third one has never worked, right, according to the rules. Mm -hmm. A third one's never made any inroads. And and if they have, it's destroyed the existing party, right? These are machines that are occupied by coalitions at any given time. So to try to peg uh, any, uh, like, to even peg them to Democratic Party of now to the Democratic Party of Bill Clinton, like, you've already slipped. Like, the, the, the alliances have changed. The machine has adapted, right? Like, the same basic structures exist, but, like, the, the ideologies come and go, right? It's a very silly thing, and Americans just need some fucking civics because we don't understand it. We think it's, uh, you know, like fucking Japan where they have a wrestling party and a beer party and a... Uh, and that's you know and that's what you get when you get fucking choices like you get stupidity, right? <laughs> that is the that is the best you, you kind get of fucking democratic. Yeah. You get like uh, Bodie. What you ever. get is Bodie McBoatface, right? Of I political parties. That's what happens when you just throw shit open. You get because like people you get are the assholes. German pirate party <sighs> holding seats in the EU. Yeah, uh, and it's just silliness. Like you're wasting people's time. Right. With your silliness. Like you want to do comedy like, you know, uh, The Daily Show is fantastic. Right. There's room for political comedy in our system. But like, let's not dick around with uh, who we have uh, a vermin supreme. Like, why are you wasting people's time with this shit? Right. So we can we can agree that third parties are stupid. The um, (laughs) certainly. But that's what I'm uh, saying. That's what political parties are. That's why third parties don't work, because we don't have parties in that sense. Right. Right. The. Our our sort of third party um, elections happen in the primaries, right? There, yes. are, there are a bunch of that's where the factions that's... sort of fight for dominance, um, and they are they're they're very different today than they were yesterday. So, so saying any narrative that describe any grand meta narrative that describes the historical and intellectual arc of American uh, political parties is always going to be like deeply flawed unless it is extremely complicated. Yeah. D'Souza and his, uh, and the counter punchers uh, have a very simplified dumbed down. Our side are the good guys of history. Your side is the bad guys of history story that doesn't actually have anything to tell us about modern American politics. My frustration with it uh, is that there is so much good shit that you can say uh, that, you know, that just owns the fucking libs 
without trying to pretend that modern liberal Democrats are the party of Jim Crow. Right. I mean, you guys do and say such stupid fucking shit on an hourly basis. <laughs> I don't know if you saw AOC uh, try to interrogate the head of the FBI about um, domestic terrorism the other day. But like you guys, you are fertile soil for stupid shit. Right. You do not have to write these psychotic, deeply confused uh, books about how, uh, you know, the modern Democratic Party is a bunch of secret Confederates or a bunch of secret Nazis, right? That would be very stupid uh, because they're, they're, they're evil all on their own. You know what I mean? You don't need to. You don't need to play these games. <laughs> are, you, are you saying you, you, there's no need to gild the lily? Is that what? Is that, uh, no, uh, no. I mean the the natural lily that spits from the fertile dung heap of the Democratic <laughs> Party is already uh, so gorgeous. Uh, it's beautiful. So there's 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 no reason to do that. Oh. Um, and uh, but to give you, if you want to know where this came from, um, which I know. Uh, I mean, this has come from a there's a certain kind of like ancient Republican, uh, you know, these kind of they, they don't exist anymore. But these octogenarians, who was the last one? Uh, do you remember Novak? Uh, he used to be on the McLaughlin group. I do. I do remember Novak. Yeah, yeah. he was he was this guy that used to uh, they would be having these political conversations and he'd be like, well, during the Truman administration, you know, <laughs> and everybody would just look at him like he's a fucking crazy person. And uh, he'd kind of get away with it on the McLaughlin group because they were all ancient. But when he'd do that, like, you know, and meet the press or something, people would just say that he's out of his fucking mind. Who cares if Truman didn't send blankets to the fucking troops in Korea? Truman would be a Republican today. Like, why would we even have this conversation? So, uh, but that, that was his, there was always that kind of thing in the Republican Party. You there? Yeah, hold yeah. on, I'm gonna fucking call coming in from a creditor. Uh, but like, uh, so, uh, uh, there's always been that kind of Republican, right? Okay, fine. Uh, but we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to take that seriously. What really started this fucking thing was uh, a really great book by Jonah Goldberg called Liberal Fascism, uh, which the book is uh, not... Uh, I know what you're thinking. Uh, the thesis of the book is not what you think it is. Mm. The thesis of the book is to talk about... Uh, so uh, Orson Welles, he said his political philosophy in the 1930s was liberal fascism, is what he called it. And so really what the book was about was this particular era of progressives, and not just progressives, but like a lot of people, who, when fascism first became a thing, thought it was kind of great. And the the point of the book is that uh, it is a counter-narrative against the idea that sort of modern conservatives are a uh, have a direct political lineage to fascism. Uh, what he's trying to say, and what he said in the book, was essentially, you know, the sort of old progressives that modern conservatism rebelled against, uh, they thought fascism was really cool. And it doesn't make any sense to say that the people who are rebelling against the first wave of progressives would be pro-fascist, right? He just sort of drew a historical arc, and he, uh, and he also spent most of the book criticizing Woodrow Wilson, which, in fairness, Woodrow Wilson deserves to be criticized. And it's something that modern liberal Democrats didn't really do for a long time. One thing you can say about the modern kind of woke left is at least they fucking hate Woodrow Wilson. So they've, they've improved over the old Democrats who kind of defended him, which is crazy. 
right? Woodrow Wilson is a fucking monster. Uh, so this is great. Uh, Glenn Beck read this book. Uh, I found this out because I listened to Glenn Beck interview Jonah Goldberg. And Glenn Beck said, I read your book, Liberal Fascism. And it totally, it, I never knew anything about the Progressive Party until I read that. And it really got me started. And you could kind of see Jonah Goldberg, like his face drop and be like, oh, God, did I... I, you're saying I'm responsible for this. Uh, Glenn Beck read this book and he began his crazy. He didn't take it to mean, uh, you know, the first wave of progressives were actually fuckheads. He took it to mean that every foundational strand of American progressivism goes back to the Nazis. Uh, and so. He what? began to he began to draw Ugh. his like crazy thread lines on his chalkboards. And he began to do his crazy conservative conspiracy things, and um, so it's like Hydra. Uh, Hydra is in charge yeah. of the Democratic Party. Basically, that was his. That was. Our, his, and you've if you Bar ever saw Barney, Barney Frank is our Red Skull. Yeah, if you ever saw Glenn Beck's kind of classic Fox News program, you know where you sit <laughs> around in front of I a caught blackboard a couple episodes. Yeah. with his glasses on, yeah. just going crazy about yeah. how Barack Obama was secretly uh, Red Skull, right? Yeah. Uh, this came out of that. Uh, this, you know, he he drew all these wacky lines because it is true that Woodrow Wilson uh, was a part of a kind of push in the West that was going on in all the Western nations for increased centralization and decreased individual rights. Uh, it was just, it was... Well, I think there was also a, a strain of American populism uh, that was virulently racist, uh, but was also uh, sort of anti-capitalist. And I think, you know, when you think about the old, and I've, I've been calling him this lately, the, the old meathead left, you know, like that that's the thing that got them going is the anti-capitalist bit, Right. Uh, and that's why they'll that's why they'll throw in. But like the you know the progressive the progressivism of that period is enormously racist, right? Uh, it reminds me of you know uh, uh, the South African Communist Party's uh, official slogan was "White Workers of the World Unite." You know, mm. like you could you could easily uh, and they were never invited to the international because that you know that's fucked up. Uh, but uh, you know you could see that strain within it, right? Like uh, it, it's not like, racism and communism are not inseparable. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, not at all. There's yeah. a, a, I mean, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a shock. Uh, Adolf Hitler was not a socialist. No. Right. That's, that's a misunderstanding, but it shouldn't surprise you that most of the people who became major leaders in the Nazi party were, uh, Himmler and these cats that they, they, they began in socialism. Mussolini began in socialism. Um, well, socialism it, I mean, it, 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 it also, it's, it's hilarious. You know, if we're talking about how racism sort of infected, uh, we were talking about the union movement, right? Like the union movement often uh, made sure that no black or Latino workers uh, were within their ranks, right? And were kept out of major industries, made their lives a lot fucking harder uh, than they really had to be, right? Because they were protecting white workers, right? And that's one of those things that has fucked unions among, you know, think of like how much more powerful they'd be if uh, uh, they had shown actual fucking solidarity uh, in the 30s and 40s. I'm not going to um, assist in your bad mouthing of the American labor movement, <laughs> just in general. But those are don't don't, don't but those but, are fucking um, facts. And that was that was the, that was reality until like the 70s, like late 70s. Uh, let's so not let's child, not get it twisted. 
at my at my child's public school because uh, liberals are so fucking dumb, right? And they can't they can't nuance history. They have uh, these photos. Uh, it was like uh, at some point it was probably in the month of February because they like to repurpose Black History Month for all sorts of things, which is very unfair. But um, oh, you really are bad people? Oh no, we. Um, oh no, it's got to be Black uh, History. They did. Uh, they did a thing on. Um, they had all these posters about like uh, accepting everyone. It was like uh, Immigrant Awareness Week or something, and you know who they put on the Immigrant Awareness. They had a bunch of uh, uh, things about like uh, you know asylum seekers and all these other things, but on all the posters was uh, Cesar Chavez. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Cesar Chavez. Uh, he was not. He was not pro-immigrant. No. He used to send yeah. uh, he used to send <clears throat> union members down to the border to yeah. beat up uh, illegals no. as they came across. Well, I mean, I mean that's but uh, because there's no fucking nuance uh, yeah. in the liberal mind. Uh, this seemed perfect. He was just like, well, he's a brown person, and the they're brown people. They must they must be on the same team. That's the way it works. No, they're not on the same team. No. Scarcity of labor, yeah. man. Right? Like they didn't need uh, people coming in who would work for less. That's right. if you want to, you know, that's like the fundamental understand. That's what unions do. Very, very dumb. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, I just thought it was really funny. Yeah. But you can't say anything, you know, because you'd look, you'd look like a really bad yeah. person. Uh, and so it's, it's fine. Uh, but the, 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 what happened after Glenn Beck, to get back to the story. So Glenn Beck becomes very popular with these wild conspiracy theories. Basically, uh, they're doing two things, right? They're, they're sort of defaming modern liberals, while at the same time sort of letting a variety of right-wing uh movements off the hook uh for any involvement or any sort of similarity they might um pose to european fascism right or more popular uh to jim crow if you can take jim crow sort of off the plate of american conservatives and give it to the liberals well that would be perfect right but that's not the way it works all political movements uh, particularly in a place like the United States, in which political movements are constantly mutating, all political movements have dark histories. Mm-hmm. And you can either say, uh, okay, yes, Southern conservatives were responsible for Jim Crow, but this is how we fix that, right? You can say that. Or you can say, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. They're all Democrats, so they're obviously you people. <laughs> you know, George Wallace. George Wallace was. Uh... If he'd been alive, he would, uh, you know, after gay marriage had been declared legal, you could just see him out there waving a rainbow flag. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of them. <laughs> uh, that was actually, uh, uh, I mean, everybody's seen the stars and bar. I mean, everybody yeah. knows the Confederate battle flag. What yeah. they don't know is that was not actually the flag of the Confederacy, right? The, the Confederate States mm-hmm. of America had their own flag. You know what it was? Uh, uh, well, the they- rainbow flag. <laughs> I was about to give you like a serious answer. <laughs> no, I know you were. I don't know why you wasted. Like they went, time they doing went through. That. They went through several flags. Right. What no, if? Uh, I know. Don't you don't need to. We don't have to uh, uh, give Confederate history any more exposure. Oh, but, you um, know, actually, I heard an interesting thing. Maybe we should like because we are we're, we're closing in an hour. I heard an interesting uh, charge oh, the other day. But can I uh, before you give me this? Let me just tell yeah. you the final the final leg of the story. So Glenn Beck became very popular and very wealthy by doing this, and then that was when uh, Dinesh D'Souza, a sort of struggling hack, basically repurposed liberal fascism, basically rewrote the book. But to make it 
much less coherent, much less historical, and much more uh, a kind what? of paranoid screed against yeah, the American right. left. Conspiratorial. He, so Dinesh D'Souza, while Glenn Beck has sort of tried to reform himself as old papa conservative, like the sane conservative in the Trump era, which he isn't every time I hear him talk, he still says something fucking crazy because he's a nutbag. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza has sort of picked up the product line that Glenn Beck was selling and ran with it. Yeah. And now he's stuck in a situation in which he has to perpetually defend. A, but, but that's all he's doing. He is selling a product. He is not a thinker. He is not a... Uh, he does have some interesting... Like when he's not doing this, he does have... A, I mean, he, he does have uh, plenty of ideas, right? But because he has become this... Uh, sort of uh, brand he is now stuck with it and that brand is popular but completely indefensibly stupid yeah. well I, I you know of course I agree I, I wanted to maybe uh, end on this because I had read this really yeah. interesting uh, I was, she was from a, a historian at I want to say Vanderbilt it was Southern University uh, yeah. that wrote this piece you know like dumb think piece uh, that said that we need to Ken Burns needs to remake uh, civil the Civil War series, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Uh, that like that series this, yeah. did so much to uh, sort of uh, frame the the uh, like a generational understanding of the Civil War, and they gave a lot of time to this uh, uh, this old poor, Southern poor Shelby Foot, <laughs> this yeah. fucking old Southern prick who is more novelist than historian, uh, mm-hmm. while sidelining like uh, far. Far better uh, for sort of you know, uh, better better reputed historians, right? Yeah, but far uh, less that's an interesting historians. I can listen to Shelby Foot might be wrong on a bunch of shit. I can listen to him talk <laughs> for like eight hours. Yeah, straight. but I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. I, I do think that that uh, I remember. You ever seen this uh, CSA? You ever seen this movie? No. What is? Oh, it? have you never seen CSA? No. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a uh, so it, uh, Spike Lee didn't direct it, but he produced it. Right? It's this very uh-huh. low budget. Uh, uh, so it's it's set up like a like a documentary, right? Uh-huh. Like uh, very much in the vein of civil a uh, civil war. Uh, oh, it's like it's supposed to be like a BBC documentary, right? Uh, uh-huh. But it's an alternate universe where the South won the war, right? Uh-huh. Uh, where uh, the South was able to convince England and France to come into the war on their side. Right? Okay. So it presumes that the uh, uh, the South won, uh, but what's really interesting, and well, like the documentary is really good. What's really weird are these uh, advertisements uh, that would have come on while you're watching it, and they're just the most horrible fucking things you can imagine, right? And the idea is that they're all based on things that existed, uh, like in the Deep South during Jim Crow. Right. Mm. So there was like Mammy's Chicken and like Gold Dust Twins with just these horrifically like racist. It is so it is a it's only about an hour and a half. And I think you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Uh, It's definitely worth watching. Like uh, uh, it presumes some really interesting things about what would have happened if the South won. Like it presumes that it would have defeated the North. Uh, It would have continued on building. uh, slave states out of South America and building like a tropical empire uh, and building like vast slave plantations uh, staying out of World War II uh, 
uh, and chastising Hitler for wasting good stock. <laughs> good God. It's really, it's really, uh, it's really good stuff. I recommend you see it. Um, God, I can't believe you haven't. Yeah. Go watch it. No, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, the, the answer to what would have happened had the Confederacy won that war would have been, um, they would have re-entrenched and then fought another war. Those two societies can't yeah, they exist yeah. next to each other. Yeah. And you eventually, know, industrial capitalism would have... Yeah. Would have one of my favorite... I mean, you're, one of my favorite historians is uh, Eric's Hob, Eric Hobsbawm. You ever, you ever done a lot of... Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, and he said, you know, one of the primary causes of the war that not, not really anyone really wants to, uh, to acknowledge is that the cotton industry largely kept the American South sort of within the sphere of influence of the British empire. Right. Mm. Uh, and that like, uh, it's, it used the North culturally and socially more as just sort of a conduit, uh, to markets that could use their cotton. Mm. Right. Uh, and that part of the civil war was just sort of a, a realignment of the South toward, uh, like it's, you know, what it was supposed to have done 80 years previous. Right. I don't see how, uh, free labor states, in industrial industrial free labor states can cohabitate no. with uh, agricultural slave states. Yeah. It's just not a... I mean, certainly not even in the same union. I don't see how they can cohabitate on the same continent. Yeah. Uh, even if they were separate political entities. There's just there's just no way. I mean, you can almost just... I mean, even, even to, to zoom out a little bit, fucking feudal uh slave states cannot coexist cannot coexist with like rapidly approaching modernity right, right. like it's just like the social structures that un- that sort of buttressed that system uh kept everyone broke as shit except for you know a uh, hundred guys per county oh uh, right right who I mean, who they... maintained uh, an iron grip on on small fiefdoms like this is like you can't have that next to uh uh, economies that are vibrant and growing, right? There's no way. Uh, I, the, I mean, the the Confederacy was not on the even if they had even if they had won at Gettysburg and sued for peace, uh, the Confederate States of America would yeah. would have been beaten at some point. The um, I, I think what's important to remember, though, is that uh, the Confederacy uh, they were Democrats. <laughs> On that note, on that note, this this one was fun. I like. I always enjoy when we get to talk a little about history. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Had a good time. All right, buddy. Thanks, Chris. All right. Take it easy. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize.